So for those uh, who are joining us this morning for the first time, we've been in Matthew over, well, the last couple months. We started in Matthew and we've made our way uh, to the Sermon on the Mount. And we wanted to take some time away from the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew, to look at the new birth. Um, So I've said a lot, especially since we've gotten close to the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, that the context, the thing we have to remember about what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is that it's about the kingdom of heaven. It's about the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, isn't the stepping stone to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not the checklist that we check off to make sure that we're good enough to get into the kingdom of heaven. But it is the entrance to the kingdom of heaven, as we've said over and over again in our time, is to be born again. As we read in John 3, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So, I want us to take some time to think about what this means, the new birth. Uh, I want us to look at it and to ask questions. I want to see why it's important. I want to know why. I want to know how. And I want to know where is it anywhere else in Scripture? Is it more? Is it, do we have it more in the Old Testament? Do we have a summit in the New Old Testament? What does the Bible in whole have to say about the new birth? And as we do this, I have a, like a second um, thing I want us to take out of this. As we understand more and more about the new birth, I want us to understand, we will understand how great God's grace is. As we understand more about the new birth, you will understand more about grace. So let's just just give us an easy definition to think, think about as we move into this. Born again equals new spirit, I mean, I'm sorry, new spiritual life given by the Holy Spirit. New birth equals new spiritual life given by, to you by God through the Holy Spirit. You might also think of it, we, see, we saw the word last week in Titus 3, regeneration. Regeneration, and that Greek word just means to make new again, to begin again, new beginnings. That, the word genesis is actually in regeneration. Or in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And as we read in Ephesians 2 this morning, being dead in sin, but made alive to God through Christ Jesus. Now, the, I'll just give you a warning and an apology. This is going to be more of a Bible study than a sermon. It's going to be a lot of Scripture. So if you didn't bring a Bible today, there's one in front of you. And if you don't go through the Scripture, you're not going to be able to follow. But I also want to say, just going through all this once 
isn't going to be enough. So as we go through Scripture, write down these addresses and spend time meditating, thinking about what we're going to read today and what we're going to see. And I was, I'm just been really, really nervous about this all week because the new birth is so big. It's so large. It's so foundational. I mean, Jesus said, if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is a very, very important and very weighty subject. So I've been kind of shaking in my boots all week about this. I have learned a lot this week about this. And I am excited to show you what Scripture says about the new birth. But what made me a little... This is the sinfulness of who I am. Of coming, being... Uh, not trusting in the Lord. But I sit down and for Sunday school. And God has given the lesson to... Brother Dan this morning, as, and it just, it is literally the introduction to what I had written down on my paper this morning. And so if you weren't in Sunday school class, we looked at Isaiah chapter 1, and we saw a few things, and we'll go back to it. We saw that they did not understand, though donkeys understand, but they did not understand. They are a sinful nation. They could not comprehend. And they would not listen to the prophets. So the big thing we're going to learn today is why. We're going to learn why that is. And then we're also going to see why that is the same case for us today. Um, So we got a lot of scripture. So here's what we're going to see as we look at this. And I want to point out something that Jesus said to Nicodemus that's always been interesting to me. When John, or when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he's explained to him about this new birth and Nicodemus is like, okay, how can this be? Jesus responds to him, are you the teacher of Israel? Not a teacher of Israel or one of the teachers of Israel. How are you? Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? So what does that tell you about the new birth? Where can we find information about the new birth if Nicodemus in Jesus' time should have known about it and he was the teacher of Israel? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to we're going to pretend that if Jesus was going to go back and remind Nicodemus, give Nicodemus a Bible study of what the Old Testament has to say about this new birth, what would he have shown him? Where would he have gone? So here are three things that we're going to see this morning. And we're going to also we'll make our way into the New Testament thereafter. Number one, spiritual deadness. Sounds a lot like poverty or poor in spirit. The first beatitude. Spiritual deadness. Number two, the effects of that spiritual deadness. Not in a good way. The negative effects of spiritual deadness. And number three, the grace of God in giving new spiritual life. Now, I'm going to be talking about Israel for the next 20 minutes. 
But don't think that this is not applicable to today. And I'm going to show you that it is absolutely applicable today. Um, So let's start. Grab your Bible, turn to Genesis 3. And our first thing we're going to see is spiritual deadness. And in Genesis 3, I want to show you its origin. I want to show you the origin of spiritual deadness. So we know the serpent in in verse 1 of chapter 3 comes to Eve. And he says to her in verse 1, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. All right, stop. So... If their eyes will be opened, then there's an implication that there's something they can't see. Their eyes are closed. All right? Keep that in mind. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... Because the serpent said, your eyes will be open. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now pay very close attention. Then the eyes of both were opened. Something happened to Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God. Something happened that had never happened before and will never happen again. They changed. They went from not being able to see something to being able to see. They were different after they disobeyed. Now, I don't think that I'm saying that we get different after we disobey. This is the very first sin. And this is going to be the thing that knocks all the dominoes down the line. Their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. They knew their shame. They knew that something was not right. This was the moment that changed history. This was the moment that changed mankind forever. Their nature changed. And not for the good. And we know that the consequences of that with their children and their children's children and so on and so forth. Now look at Genesis 6 and let's see what this change of nature, 
how it manifests. So now we're at, in the time of Noah. Abra, or Noah being a descendant of Adam. You can read that in chapter 5. But in chapter 6, the dominoes have fallen. Verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now, how has man been affected? That every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So God wiped them out. They left Noah and his family. That did not wipe out the nature that was in them. When Noah got off the boat, he threw a party and got drunk. God saved, God, excuse me, God destroyed mankind, but no one his family, and the sinful nature that began when Adam and Eve took a bite continued on through Noah. Now, what has this done to mankind? Specifically, we're going to see it through Israel's lens, turn with me to Psalm 14. And as you're looking at Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, I want to remind you that Paul quotes this almost verbatim in Romans 3. And more than likely, we'll take a look at it later. What effect... As sin had on mankind, Psalm 14, verses 1. The fool says in his heart, There is no God, they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand. Remember that word from our Sunday school? To see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. What does he find in verse 3? They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. The dominoes have fallen and this is the result of one bite in the garden. This is the nature of... Of mankind. Now look in Jeremiah, so just keep turning to the right. Let's stop at Isaiah since that's before Jeremiah. This will just, we'll see it here, but we'll keep going and then come back. Isaiah, so if, you, if you're in Psalms, you keep turning to the right, you'll go past Proverbs. You might see the Song of Solomon, and then you get to Isaiah. If you see another name, you've gone too far. If you see Jeremiah, you've gone too far. Isaiah chapter 1, as Brother Dan read to us in Sunday school this morning. 
We didn't get to verse 5, but look at verse... Well, we'll start at 4 because it's pretty important. Ah, sinful nation. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4. A people laden with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers. Children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you see, or why will you still be struck down? Speaking to Israel, why will you continue to rebel? Here's the answer: the whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. All from one bite. Now we'll come back to Isaiah. Go to Jeremiah. So keep going to the right past Isaiah to Jeremiah. Turn to chapter 17. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now how does this affect Israel? Turn back to Deuteronomy. Go back to the left. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and go to 29. And for us who heard our lesson in Sunday school, as you're turning there, I want to remind you what Isaiah said about Israel. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people Do not understand. Deuteronomy 29. Been wandering in the wilderness. All of their sin and disobedience, their disbelief has been taking place since they left Egypt. And look at verse 2, chapter 29. Now we're going to see the true effects of this spiritual deadness upon Israel and their relationship with God. This is where the rubber is going to start meeting the road here, okay? Why does Israel not understand, as Isaiah said in chapter 1 of Isaiah? 29 of Deuteronomy, verse 2. And Moses summoned all of Israel and said to them, You have seen... All that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. Pay attention to the language. You have seen with your eyes all that the Lord has done before you in the land of Egypt. To Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. 
and great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and the great wonders, they saw all of it. But look what he says in 4. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. They had eyes but couldn't see. They had ears but couldn't hear. They had a heart and mind but could not comprehend. They were senseless, blind, and deaf to the truth of God, to the work of God, and what He had done. Hebrews 3 gives a warning to the Christians. The writer of Hebrews 3 says, Don't be like these people. I'm not going to read it, but you can go and look at it in Hebrews 3 this week. Don't be like these people. Don't harden your heart as they did in the wilderness. Keep a watch over one another that you might not be deceitful or that you might not be deceived by sin and fall as they did in the wilderness. Those who came out of Egypt, God says, did not enter his rest. They did not make it to the promised land. But more than that, they were a deceitful, wicked, unbelieving people. And the writer of Hebrews says, do not be like that. The, the basis of their disobedience and their rebellion was unbelief. In Deuteronomy 29, Moses tells them that you don't understand because the Lord has not made you to understand. What do they need? Now this is the transition I want us to think about. They need grace. I want you to understand what grace is. Grace is receiving something that you do not deserve. If someone stole $5 from me, You would think the consequences are, be punished, give me the $5 back, and we'll go on our way. But if I were to show mercy to whoever stole that $5 from me, I would not punish them. And if I wanted to show them grace, I would give them five more dollars. You see, grace is receiving something you do not deserve. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is everlasting life in Christ Jesus. The Israelites need grace. They need to receive something they don't deserve. They need to be given, here we go, they need to be given eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart and a mind that understands. They need new spiritual life. They are dead. To God. Dead to the things of the Spirit of God. Now, here's the beauty of the Word of God. Turn over one chapter. To Deuteronomy chapter 30. 
Look at verse 4. Now, the language changes in verse 30 to future tense. Okay? He's talking about, he's talking about in the future. He's not telling when, but he's just talking about in the future. This is prophecy of Moses. Verse 4. If you're out, and he's talking to the nation of Israel as they're in the wilderness. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. From there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God, here it is, will circumcise your heart. And the heart of your offspring. Why? So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. The circumcision of the heart is equivalent to what Jesus says when he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again if you are just God, He promises Israel He will circumcise their hearts so that they might love the Lord. Now, before we go on into this being a very familiar language in Ezekiel, I want us to think about and hear about Think about this circumcision of the heart. Alright? We just said that the heart is desperately sick. Wicked above all things. Who can understand it? And then Genesis 6, all the intentions of the heart were evil. And Jesus, before he speaks to Nicodemus, does not entrust himself to man because he knows what is in man. And Moses tells the Israelites, you must. You, you, sir, he, he actually, in Deuteronomy, tells them to circumcise their heart. Do you think that would be... Can you please today circumcise your heart? I'll wait. Okay, if you can't do that, be born again. I'll wait. It's impossible. No man can circumcise his heart. No man can be born again. Let me read this to you. Understanding the circumcision of the heart parallel, paralleling the new birth. Paul says to the Romans, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. That's Romans 2, 28 and 29. But a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. There's a reason why you can't circumcise your heart. There's a reason why you can't make yourself be born again. 
because it is by the Spirit of God. One more little thing that popped up this morning as we were talking about prophets. Jeremiah is giving this the sermon of his life that's going to bring him to his death. Not Jeremiah, Stephen. Christ is risen, he's ascended, Uh, the apostles have been clothed with power on high by the Holy Spirit. Stephen is declaring to these unbelieving Jews who killed Christ, and he's giving them the sermon of a life who's going to end up taking his life as they stone him to death. And at the end of his sermon, he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Uncircumcised of the heart and the ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. To truly understand and see spiritual things, to see the kingdom of God You need an act of grace of God in your life to birth you again by the power of the Holy Spirit. A special gift of God. Now, spoiler alert, Deuteronomy 31, God fulfills His promise to Israel. Not in the wilderness, not in David's time, not in Solomon's time, Not in Isaiah's time, not in Jeremiah's time, but in the time of Christ. In the time of Christ. But I want you to see what happens after Moses says and promises that they would be circumcised of the heart, that they might love the Lord in Deuteronomy 31 and 24. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in the book to the very end, Deuteronomy 32, now in verse 25, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it might be there for a witness against you. Against you. Sounds a lot like what God told Isaiah today, or we heard today. Go and tell them. Go and tell them until they're desolate, until they're no more. Verse 27, after Moses had prophesied what God would do for them, he says, for I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today while I am yet alive with you, You have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I might speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you. Because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the works of the hands.
until God circumcises their heart, they will continue to act in rebellion, in sin, in disbelief. But God is a God of grace. And if He promises to Israel that He will circumcise their heart, He will. And guess what? He did. I've got a few more passages in the Old Testament and then we're going to pop out of it. Go to Jeremiah. So Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, verse 30. Sorry, chapter 31. Verse 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Now as we read this prophecy of Jeremiah and we read this prophecy that we're about to see in Ezekiel, think about the language. Think about how similar it sounds to the promise that Moses told Israel. But I also want you to know that these are prophecies of the new covenant. I, I, I just beg you to hold with me, to hold fast. We're going to push through this. I'm getting close to being done. Bear with me. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, Deuteronomy, that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Where is he going to write his law? Upon their heart. Now look at Ezekiel 36. God gives a little bit more detail about what he's going to do. Hang with me here. Don't fade. What does this look like? How does he do this? I've not seen that procedure before where he circumcised someone's heart. I don't think y'all have. How does he do this? Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, this is important, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of disobedience, disbelief, unholiness, profaning the name of God in the midst of pagan nations. He says in 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. Here it is. He's saying you have been worms among these nations. But I'm about to make you like a diamond. You have been wretched and poor and embarrassing 
among the nations. But I'm going to make you as light. Now who's going to get the glory there? Not those people. Look what he says. Verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Exact language of Deuteronomy 30. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Here's the details. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone that is dead and cold and does not respond. I will remove that from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. A heart that beats. A heart that is alive. A heart that responds. I will put my spirit within you. He is telling them that he will circumcise their hearts. And I will cause you to walk Notice that he's so angry with the Israelites for their constantly turning away. Constantly turning away. But he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to you, your fathers, and you shall be my people and I will will be your God. On the day of Pentecost, as the apostles and the other 120 sat in the upper room, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And in that, from that act, that very day, 3,000 Israelites had their hearts Circumcised. Deuteronomy 30, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36 was fulfilled on that day. And the next few days, 5,000 more Jews were converted and had their hearts circumcised. God did what He said, He gave them spiritual life. They were dead. They could not see. They could not understand. Now I'm speaking as a nation as a whole. God had done this to individuals within the nation of Israel. Because no one, no one can trust and follow and obey apart from being given spiritual life by God. But he had promised the nation of Israel he would do this, and he did. Now, how does this relate to us today? And I'm sorry. Turn to Acts 14. You might say, you just spent 35 minutes talking about Israel. Well, Peter picks it up in Acts 15. Do you know what happened? They took that same good news, that same promise, and the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Starting in verse 8. I'm sorry. 
verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Gentiles have just been saved and been given the Holy Spirit. In verse 7, And after there was much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, Old Testament, God made a choice among you that by the mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Alright, verse 8, And God who knows the heart. 15. God who knows the heart in verse 8. Very important. He bore witness to the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit. Just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. What did he have to do to us and them? Cleansing their heart by faith. The wicked heart that the Israelites had, the lack of spiritual understanding to be deaf, dumb, and blind to the spiritual things of God was not just for Israel, but it's all people. The poor in spirit, all are impoverished in need of new spiritual life by the Holy Spirit. So, that's why God, that's why Jesus told Nicodemus, if one is going to see the kingdom of heaven, he must be born again. The same sin that corrupted Adam and Eve has corrupted us. And as Paul quoted Psalm 14, none is righteous, no, not one. You and I have never been able to understand. You and I have never been able to seek after God. You and I have turned aside and become worthless. I'm just quoting Psalm, or, uh, Romans 2 here, uh, Romans 3. There is no fear of God before their eyes except by the Holy Spirit of God. Causing us to be born again. And apart from being born again, you will continue in your sin and unbelief. Romans 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Meaning, you cannot please God without the Spirit of God. There's a problem here. What verse do we like to use when we want people to believe? When we want people to be saved? We say to them, if you confess with your mouth, or if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, follow this, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. Not without the Holy Spirit, you won't. Paul then tells, first, tells the Corinthians that no one, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says no one can say without the Spirit that Jesus is Lord. So, as I asked you, be born again. That is the work of God. That is a work of God bringing new spiritual life to a dead man. 
It is giving spiritual eyes and ears to someone who is deaf and blind to what God has done through Jesus Christ. So when we talk about salvation in Byron, it's not about our strategy. It's not about what we do here as far as setting this up or setting that up. It's about depending, calling out to God that He might be gracious and giving new life. But you say, how? What are we supposed to do? Romans 10 then later says that faith comes, it comes by hearing. By hearing the word of Christ. You might say, well, if I can't make myself be born again, I have no hope. That's exactly right. You don't. I don't. Because if, if it was, if I had enough wisdom to believe, I don't need God. If I can seek enough understanding to make myself right before God, I don't need the cross. If I can do it and come to Him without Him coming to me first, I don't need the Holy Spirit. We have to have a posture of understanding that the grace of God comes down to us not when we're lifting up our hands to Him. You understand me? The grace of God is not Him grabbing us up as we've lifted our hand up to Him. No one understands. No one seeks God. No one has fear of God. But that He grabs us out of the muck and mire and sets our feet on a solid rock. That is the grace of God. And we have received it for those who are in Christ. And in receiving that new life, Our eyes are open. Our heart understands. And how do we respond? But in faith and repentance. I asked you last Sunday as we finished Sunday school, where does faith come from? It does not come from within us. We do not go out into the ends of the world to try to convince someone that they should should look within themselves to believe They will all die and be condemned if they look within themselves for the faith to save them. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God that no man should boast. So we give thanks. We come together because of the grace of God in giving us new life, in giving us eyes and ears to understand and hearts to comprehend that what God has done for us. And you say, I just don't get it. I... Jesus told Nicodemus, don't, don't get lost in what I'm going to do, what, what you can't do. He says, the wind blows and you feel it, but you don't see it. The wind blows. You don't know where it's coming from. You just know it's blowing. 
Don't get stumbled in the thing that you can't do. But be obedient to that which God calls you to. Faith. Belief. Repentance. Don't try to figure out and see the wind. Just respond and trusting Christ and the wind will blow and you will be born again. Now for some of us, some of us here, we have that assurance. We have that new life and I pray that you dwell on that this week to see what Christ has done what the Father has given and the Holy Spirit has enabled. And for those who haven't, as I said, don't get caught up in what you can't do, but respond to what you've been called and commanded to do. Trust in Christ and turn from your sin. The poor in spirit they shall inherit the earth. Those who mourn over their sin shall be comforted. Let's pray.